you're with us. Whenever Hugh comes back tonight, be sure to thank him for everything he does. <laughs> I enjoy leading singing, I always have, but it is a little bit more difficult whenever you're doing both. And I have done all of the service before. Back in my days with Temperance Hall, I remember we had a, a bad weather day and it was on a mountain and uh, we had five ladies that came and me. And so I had to do all of the service that day. Um, but anyway, but it's still good to be here today and it's good to be able to present the lesson as well as leading singing. Our lesson for this morning involves church growth. And this is a series that I'm going to do every so often. Uh, it's not going to be something that's going to be every week. But I do want to do some lessons that involve what we can do as a church in order to grow. I think we realize just by looking around us that, that we as a congregation, we need more people. And when we look at the church overall, the church overall needs more people. There are two different types of church growth. And what we're dealing with today is the numerical church growth. What can we do to reach souls around us? What can we do to bring people in our community into this congregation and into the Lord's body? As we look at the question, how is church growth to be achieved? We may answer that in different ways. There are some people that would say, well, maybe we need some more new programs, new innovations, new ways of enticing people, of encouraging them to come. Maybe it's uh, attracting members from other congregations. They would just need to, to do things that are to attract more people to come here rather than to go to another church. And I don't think either one of those is the answer to church growth. If we want the church to truly grow, there are things that we can do. But new programs and things of that nature, uh, attracting members from other churches, that's not the way for the church to grow. And especially when we look at, at attracting other members because they're already a part of the church, right? That's more what I would call swelling than growing. But true church growth means teaching and bringing in those who are lost or wavered. The only way to truly grow is by bringing those who are not Christians into the Lord's church, into His body. Now how do we do that? How do we reach people that are not members of the church? Those who are lost, how do we reach them? Jesus used the analogy of fishing when teaching this to his disciples and in bringing them to him. But we look at, at, at a majority of his disciples, I guess, that were probably fishermen. And Jesus uses the idea of fishing to tell them how to achieve church growth. Matthew chapter 4 Verses 18 through 20 says this. Matthew 4, beginning with verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. 
for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Jesus got their attention. He, he took the very job that they had in fishing. He said, I'm going to make you fishers, but you're going to be fishers of men. Come, follow me. And they did. As we look at the church, we need more disciples, nor more members that are fishermen with the desire to reach the lost. Our lesson for today is entitled, Fishers of Men. I want to begin by looking at the power of an invitation. Have you ever invited anyone to attend church services with you? Have you ever invited them to come to worship with you? I think we have forgotten today the power of an invitation. It doesn't seem like there are that many ways that we could really interest people in God or interest people in being part of His church. But there are many ways that we can do so. We have some things that we've begun here in order to reach people, to reach lost souls. We have house to house. We have a new set of house to house, heart to heart pamphlets back there. And we can pass those out to people, read them ourselves. Those are good ways of reaching people with the gospel. Maybe they would be willing to read that before they would be willing to come to services. Maybe we can, can over time, encourage them to attend. We have little cards that we made up so that we can pass them out. Uh, we've begun leaving them at restaurants and things of that nature just so people can pick them up and maybe they'll come. Who knows? We have friends and family that are not members of the church. We can reach them just by showing our love and our care and our attention to them and to their need. But the power, there's still power in an invitation if we see it and if we use it. Love. Love is very important to an invitation. It's very easy for us to go up to someone and say, Hey, would you like to come to services? And maybe not mean it. Maybe we don't think they'll come at all. But if we truly love someone, I think we'll continue to invite them. It's been estimated, if I'm correct, on the statistics, that it takes about seven or eight times to convince someone to come to services with you. Seven, eight times. That's a lot. But eventually, if you keep asking them, if you keep encouraging them, maybe they'll be more willing to come. Even if it is just to, to get you off their back in some ways, maybe they'd be willing to come. Maybe the gospel will touch them. Never know what we can do with that invitation. But love needs to be behind it. And if there's love behind it, 
then it will go a long way. We have to understand that God loves the lost. Always has, always will. God loves those who are lost. John chapter 3 and verse 16, a verse we've used quite a bit the last couple of weeks. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved the world enough to send His Son to die for a world of lost people. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not sight concerning His promise. The promise that His Son would come. That's some kind of sightness. But is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God loves the world, and so should we. We should love them enough to try to bring them to Him. If we love them, we will desire for them to be saved. We know that all sin, that's a given. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we know that one who knows and obeys not, is lost in judgment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 tells us in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. So we know that those who do not know God, those who do not obey Him, are destined for punishment and judgment. We know that one must be taught in order to obey, Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We have to understand the meaning of that word preacher in that passage. It's not talking about the person that stands in the pulpit every week. No, it's talking about all of us as Christians. All of us as Christians have a duty to spread the gospel, to preach the gospel. You may not stand in the pulpit. You may not stand before the congregation. But there are ways that we can preach the gospel to the lost. Just by mentioning God on a regular basis, mentioning His blessings. You can begin a conversation with someone about the gospel. You can, if nothing else, teach them what you did to obey the gospel and why 
I've known people that have been baptized and have no idea as to why they were baptized. And I believe that would be a failure on the part of, of many of us as ministers and, and those who baptize them and not doing our research and making sure they understand why they're obeying the gospel and how they're obeying the gospel. How did you come to obey the gospel? I hope that you understand. I hope that you know. I hope that you know enough that you can take that to someone else. Love is an important part of spreading the gospel. If we love people, we will do whatever we can to bring them to Christ, to help them to know the brevity the importance of being a Christian. We also have examples of those who did a great deal in inviting people. Turn to John chapter 1. John 1. Let's begin reading in verse 40. Here we read of at least two individuals here that did a wonderful job of using the power of an invitation. John 1 and verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come, come and see. They invited someone. They used an invitation to bring them to Christ. And they came. We look at Peter and Nathaniel. We see that they came to Christ because they were invited to see Him. And Peter especially. We notice something very interesting about Peter. That would it have happened had he not been invited to come and see Jesus? Maybe it would have happened in another way. But we see that Peter was the one who first spoke the first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost. There are more people that I've talked to that identify with Peter more so than any of the other apostles because they saw how flawed he was in his life. They can see his mistakes and they can identify with those mistakes, but yet Peter became a faithful disciple, apostle, preacher of the gospel. 
all because of the power of an invitation. We also find in Scripture the value of a soul. Turn with me to Luke 15. I want to look at a few verses here. Luke chapter 15. We're given three parables that teach the value of a lost soul to God. The first parable that we read in Luke 15 is the parable of the lost sheep. Luke 15 and verse 4, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. We look at the, the parable of the lost coin. Luke 15 verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp? Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We have the parable of the wayward son, given in Luke 15 and verse 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. We see that the value grows as we progress through these three parables. From one out of a hundred, from one out of ten, to one out of two. In all of these instances, we see the value of one lost soul to God. 
Even one lost soul is of great value to Him. Even one sinner who repents causes great rejoicing in heaven. Seeing the value of each person that we come in contact with should increase our desire to teach them the truth. Even those we may look at and say, well, you know, they, they probably would never. They probably never obey the gospel. We look at, at even the vilest offender of God's Word. When we look at ourselves, we see how much God loved us. Despite all the things that we have done in our life. And realizing that love that He had for us and giving His Son to die on the cross for us. We need to spread that gospel. We need to spread that love to the world. To those who are outside of Him. Knowing what they face in judgment should encourage us to try everything that we can to bring those souls to Christ. And finally, responding to the gospel. Jesus' invitation is offered. Beautiful words are found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says here, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We do have a yoke to bear, a cross to bear, if you will, in this line. No matter what we do, whether we come to Christ or not, we're going to face trials. We're going to face temptation. We make a choice of how we live our lives, whether it be in accordance with God's will or not. But how much better is it for someone to face these trials with God on their side? With Christ on their side. Knowing that He is able to help us in our times of need. We'll look at that more tonight. But Jesus offers us the ability to bear His yoke. Yes, it's a yoke. But he, he tells us that, that His yoke is easy, that His burden is light because He helps us to bear it. Jesus offered the great invitation. And we as Christians are told to carry this invitation to the world. Matthew 28, beginning with verse 18 and going through verse 20. 
And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. And He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. We have a duty to carry that gospel to the world. There are many souls that are lost. Many souls for us to reach. And our work, as long as we're here on this earth, will never be done. But we have a duty before God to carry His gospel to the lost. All Christians are to teach and preach the gospel to the lost. And even in inviting people, there are going to be people that reject us. They're going to, to say no for one reason or another. Though all were invited by Christ. And though that invitation goes to all people, there's still going to be many that refuse Him. Take, for instance, the parable of the soils that we find in Matthew 13. There are four, four soils that are represented in that passage. The wayside soil, which represents the deceiver quickly snatching away what is sown. We have the stony places that represents the seed that does not form root and quickly withers away. We have the thorns, the seed that is sown but is quickly choked. We have the good soil where the seed falls and produces fruit. The soil that we want to find in everyone but there are going to be different soils that we find. Does that mean that we should give up? No. We still continue to preach the gospel. We still continue trying to reach those lost souls. And maybe even one of these soils that, that, that is not the right soil may eventually become good soil over time. Not all who are invited will come. We look at the royal wedding that we find in Matthew chapter 22. The king that arranges a marriage for his son. Those that are invited to the wedding refuse to come. Citing different excuses, one reason after another. Well, I have to do this, I have to do that. Most likely that's in reference to the Jewish people. Who were invited. But rejected Christ. And then we have the servants that were sent into the highways seeking as many as they could find to bring them to the wedding. We believe this to be representative of the Gentile people. Who when the Jewish people refused, the gospel was brought to the Gentiles as well. But there are many of the Gentiles even that we find that will refuse the invitation will not respond in the right manner. We find one person here that, does, that comes into this wedding feast and, and he doesn't have the right garment on and he's cast out. 
Temptation is offered to all. But still many will refuse. Temptation is offered to us. But how will we respond? And look at what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. There's only one gate that we are told to enter in by. By the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. No, it's not going to be easy. We're told from the beginning, from, from Jesus Himself, that it's not going to be easy. Difficult is the way. But it leads to a great reward. Matthew 10 and verse 14. It says, And whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. We're going to face many challenges Challenges in spreading the gospel. And we're going to have people that refuse us. But even so, Jesus taught His disciples what to do in those situations. Shake the dust from your feet. Move on. There are many souls that are still lost out there that still need to be reached. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Fight the good fight. Whenever we look at our lives as Christians, I, I think we need to ask ourselves, am I doing everything that I can to reach the lost around me? Am I doing everything that I can, everything in my power to make sure that those that I love and care for are saved? And even those that, that aren't as kind to me, am I doing everything that I can to reach them as well? Those are questions we need to ask. You know, it does no good to keep the gospel to ourselves. To keep the power of salvation under wraps, it does no good. But we have this duty as Christians to carry the gospel to the world. We have a duty to be fishers of men. I don't know where you stand in your life. I don't know if you're faithful. I believe all of us are Christians. Maybe someone's not. Maybe you need to come to Christ in obedience. And even so, if you've not been faithful, you can come back and repent of the things that you've done wrong. Jesus gave us the invitation to come to Him and we're told to remain faithful in all things. Especially in spreading the gospel. If you've not been as faithful as you need to be, if you need to come to Him in obedience, 
As we always do, we give you the opportunity to come as we stand and as we sing.